So when I say the word shame, shame, what comes to your mind? Maybe you think of a time in your life when you did something wrong and you were humiliated by it. Maybe you were caught doing something that you shouldn't have been doing. Maybe you had failed at something that you were supposed to succeed at. And because of that, you felt ashamed. Or maybe it was something someone did to you. Someone sinned against you and brought you shame. Someone did something that dishonored you and your family and it brought you shame and humiliation. And sometimes, you know, depending on the context and in its proper place, this idea of shame can actually be a, a, a good thing. Shame can be a way of convicting the heart of sin, or shame can be a way of deterring evil out of fear of shame. I think one problem in this world today is that really there is not enough shame where there should be shame. You know, sin can be openly and publicly flaunted, and there is no dishonor that comes with that because there is no shame. You know, one example is, is if you go out and you sleep around with people that you aren't married to, that used to bring shame in our society. Well, not anymore. In fact, it's, it's more often than not applauded as sexual freedom. If you're a guy, you go out and do that, you're a player. And if you're a girl and you go out and do that, well, you're, you're a feminist. And it's partly because there's no shame over that sin anymore. So, so shame can be good in certain contexts. But I think most of the time, Shame can also be a very bad thing. It can be a very, very real and painful thing that haunts us and cripples us. The shame that we feel over our own sins or the sins committed against us can lead us into dark places. It can give us nightmares as we sleep. It can cause us to look in the mirror and feel disgust and contempt for ourselves. It can cause us to feel isolated and alone, unworthy of any love or any value. Shame can cause us to think of ourselves in in certain ways. Dirty, defiled, inadequate, ugly, outcast, failure, unworthy, untouchable, disgusting, exposed, naked, filthy, soiled goods, and unclean. And maybe this morning, as I read off those words, you realize that you are struggling with shame for one reason or another. Maybe you see yourself in in some of those ways that I just described and you feel the crippling weight of it upon you day in and day out and you want to be free from it. Well, the passage that we're going to be looking at this morning is for you. Because we're going to see that Jesus makes the unclean clean. Jesus makes the ugly beautiful. Jesus makes the defiled holy, the outcast accepted, the soiled washed clean, and the old a new creation. And so I want you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 5, verses 12 to 16. And I'll read God's Word for us this morning. 
hear God's word. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell down on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now even more, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. I've titled this sermon, He Can Make You Clean. He Can Make You Clean. And it's divided into two parts. First, we're going to look at the story of the leper and his interaction with Jesus. And then second, we're going to look at, the lepers, at how the leper's story is really an analogy pointing to a greater story. You know, that what, what Jesus does here is really paint a picture of something that is better to come. And so first, let's look at the leper. See, Jesus in the context here has just finished calling his disciples, at least a few of them, and now Luke introduces us to a new scene. And verse 12 says, While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. Now in order to understand what's going on here, we need a little bit of background. And so first, let's, let's look at, at this man's condition. We're told that he is full of leprosy. Now in the Bible, specifically Leviticus 13, we see that leprosy is, is defined as a a broad category for diseases, not just the disease that we know today as, as leprosy or Hansen's disease. And these, these skin diseases could be quite minor cases that would clear up in a few days or so, or they could be quite severe cases with detrimental impacts on all of the areas of your life. For example, I was looking a bit into what true leprosy is, what we know as leprosy today, and it's, it's a terrible disease. You know, it's now able to be treated and, and cured, but back then that wasn't the case. And it ca- it's caused by bacteria that affects your, your skin and your peripheral nerves, especially on your extremities, like your hands or your feet or, or your, your face and your nose, your eyes and your ears. And so people with leprosy lose most of of the feeling in their skins and they they begin to develop these ulcers and lumps and bumps that cause them to look disfigured. Many of them will often lose their their fingers or their toes because since they have no sensation in them they're less careful and they often get injured, remain untreated and then are either reabsorbed back into the body or amputated off because of infection. I was actually reading that in third world countries there's reports of lepers actually being uh, chewed on by vermin while they slept without realizing because they had lost all of the feeling with the deterioration of their nerves. And so back then, uh, if you had something like this, it was 
quite crippling, and there was no way to treat it. And now the leper in our story most likely falls into this type of severe case of leprosy. And the reason that I say that is because Luke, who is himself a physician, describes the man as full of leprosy. You know, the, the disease had spread throughout his whole body, which means, he's, it, which means he's probably completely mutilated and slowly rotting away from years and years of disease. And not only were there... So, so those are the physical consequences of, of having this disease. Uh, but in that time, there was also societal, social consequences that we read about in Leviticus 13. You know, the man's disease makes him unclean before others and more importantly before God and there are consequences to that. Listen to what what is prescribed for us um, in Leviticus 13 verses 45 to 46. This is this chapter is talking about about a person who has leprosy. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. And he, shall remain, and he shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling place shall be outside the camp. And so we see that, that the leper is deemed unclean. Now what does that mean, unclean? I mean, we, we read throughout the Old Testament, we see that certain foods are unclean, certain activities are unclean or make us unclean, uh, disease and, and fluids can make us unclean. And so what is this all about? Well, in its most basic sense, to be unclean means that there's, there's some sort of impurity or defilement that has occurred. You know, whatever this unclean thing is, it contaminates the person and makes them ceremonially, ceremonially unclean before God and before others. And as a result of your uncleanliness, you weren't allowed to do certain things. You couldn't approach the sanctuary of God. You weren't allowed to bring to Him your tithes and your offerings. You couldn't celebrate the Passover. You'd have to delay that until you were, you were clean again. You couldn't touch certain people or certain things because you would make them unclean. You know, there, there was a, a recognition that you were in some way impure before others and before God. And for this leper here in our story, he was reminded of his impurity daily. In fact, his, his defilement defined who he was. You know, every time in the morning he woke up, he woke up alone, apart from his family, outside the city, and he was reminded that he was unclean. Every time he was near another human being, he had to call out, unclean, unclean, reminding him once again of his defilement. Every time he had to get ready in the morning and put on his tattered robes, he was reminded that he was impure and that he was unworthy. In fact, certain Rabbis at that time even taught that when you saw a leper in town, it was your duty before God to shame them. 
to, to throw rocks at them and to shout at them until they left the boundaries of the city and returned to their rightful place among the outcasts at the city limits. Unclean and the shame that came with that had shaped this man's whole identity. But then, one day, a hope, a, a glimmer of hope filled this man. See, as he was sitting outside the city, he heard that there was a healer named Jesus who had come to town. And this man thinks to himself, could this man make me clean? Could this man give me back my life? Could this man take away my shame? And you can imagine the scene here that follows. Jesus is is up there at the front sitting and teaching as he normally does. But then all of a sudden, he, he starts to see that the people are turning away. They're, they're turning to look at something. They're distracted by something. And he starts to hear a, a faint sound approaching. And it's the sound of a man speaking those words, unclean, unclean. And he sees in the distance that the man as he limps, limps closer, has, has covered himself in these tattered robes. And he's holding his hand up to his mouth in accordance to the law. And, and the people, as this man walks, begin to part like a, like a boat going through the water and spreading it apart. And then the man finally arrives at Jesus. And he stops his chant of unclean, unclean. And he takes off his his hood off of his head. The people gasp. Some shout curses at him. And then verse 12 tells us uh, what he does. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and he begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. See, this man who for many years of his life had been defined by uncleanliness, falls down before the Lord and he begs him, begs him to make him clean. You know, he's, he's aware of his condition. He knows that he is unclean. He's not denying that, but he comes to the Lord recognizing his need and recognizing that he, if he is going to be healed, it must be by the supernatural work of Jesus. And so he, he humbles himself, falling down. He steps out in faith and he asks the Lord to heal him. To remove his uncleanliness and to remove his shame. To give him back his life and to give him back his honor. To, to allow him to enter once again into the temple and to the presence of God and the presence of others. And we all know what happens next in our story. Look at verse 13. And Jesus stretched out his hand as this man is lying down on the ground before him, stretches out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. Now Jesus here could have healed this man with his, his word. Jesus could have simply said, I will be clean, and the man would have been clean and the man would have been healed. But what does Jesus do here? 
he intentionally reaches out and touches the leper. You know, this, this leper who has, hasn't felt the, the touch of another human being in, in 2, 5, 10, maybe 20 years is now touched by Jesus. And in doing so, Jesus is actually, according to the law, making himself unclean by doing this. You know, Leviticus 22, verse 5 to 6 says, And whoever touches a swarming thing by which he be made, be made unclean, or a person who from whom he may take uncleanness, whatever his uncleanness may be, the person who touches such a thing shall be unclean. You see, Jesus willingly makes himself unclean by reaching out and touching this man. Now the question is why? Why would Jesus do that? Well, to show that he is willing to take this man's uncleanliness in order to make him clean. But that's not all. It also, it also shows that Jesus is the one who possesses the power to make things clean. You see, in all other cases, when a, when a clean person touched an unclean person, both of them are made unclean. You know, if I, if I go and I touch a smelly pile of garbage, I don't make the garbage smell better. Both me and the garbage then just become smelly. You know, but this case is different. Jesus being the true source of honor, the true source of purity and cleanliness, is able to impart this cleanliness to the unclean. He's able to exchange places with this man so that the man leaves a clean man and Jesus takes his uncleanliness upon himself. But the story's not finished yet. Look at verse 14. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. So we see here that according to the law, though the man had been healed, the man still needs to go to a priest to examine him and be made officially clean. And this is how how it works as prescribed for us in Leviticus 14. This is the process. The man will go and he'll see the priest. The priest is going to look at him. He's going to examine his skin. And he's going to pronounce him clean if he is truly clean. And then after that, the leper will undergo a certain purification rite. This is going to involve taking two birds. The first bird is going to be killed. And its blood is going to be drained into a bowl. And then into that bowl, water is added and cedar wood and Scarlet yarn and hyssop are all added to it to make this mixture. And then that mixture is taken and it is sprinkled upon the the former leper. And then the second bird is taken and it's dipped in in, in this this blood-water mixture and then is released into the wild. Now you might think, that seems pretty random. Why, Why is that happening? But really, none of it is arbitrary at all. See, the the first bird needed to be killed because in order for something to be made clean, blood needed to be shed. That's what the whole sacrificial system is built upon. 
And then you have the, the cedar wood and the hyssop and the scarlet yarn, which were all added because they represented cleansing and healing. And the leopard himself had been cleansed and healed of his disease. And then the second bird that is dipped into this cleansing uh, solution and then released receives its freedom after being cleansed. And that pictures what has happened to the man. The man has earned back, not earned back, being given back his life, given back his freedom, and can now enter into the presence of others and presence of God. And then after this, the the man would go and he would wash his clothes. He would shave his head. He would take a, a long bath and go and make one final offering before returning and joining the community. And you can, you can imagine how joyful this man would have been. He no longer had to walk through the town yelling, unclean, unclean. He no longer had to live as an outcast on the outskirts of town. The shame that he felt when he would walk by another person, when he would wake up in the morning and be reminded of who he was, it was all gone. Jesus had made him clean. This man was no longer the unclean leper. He was the man who was cleansed by Jesus. Now very quickly, I want to look at verses 15 and 16 before we get into our application of this story. So let me read. But now, even more, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. And then earlier in in verse 14, uh, after the man is healed, it says, and he charged him to tell no one. Jesus charged him to tell no one. And then in back even further in, in, in Luke chapter 4, we see a, a similar thing, a similar charge. When, when Jesus is casting out the demons and they cry out, you are the Son of God, have you come to destroy us? Jesus rebukes them and he tells them to be quiet. He doesn't want them speaking. And so he says that to the demons. He, he says that to the man here, not to go and, and, and tell people all about this. And the question is, why does Jesus keep doing that? You know, why does Jesus not want people or demons for that matter going around and talking about what he has done? Well, the reason is that Jesus has just begun his ministry here and he doesn't want to distract from the reason he truly came. You know, if, if, if people saw Jesus simply as a, a liberating king or simply as a miracle worker or a feeder of the hungry, then they might miss the, the bigger picture of why Jesus came. And the bigger picture of why Jesus came is this. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus came as the the suffering servant who was going to lay down his life on the cross for the sins of his people. That's why in John 6 verse 15, after after Jesus feeds the 5,000, we see that they, they go and they try to make him their king by force, and yet Jesus withdraws away from them because that was not not his mission and it's the same thing here people are are hearing about this mighty miracle worker and that's why they come to him you know not for true salvation not for the true life that he offers them and i think there's there's some application for us uh, in this you know why 
why did you come to Jesus? Are, are you a Christian because church is a nice social club? You know, are, are you a Christian because you want Jesus to give you a prosperous and happy life and answer all your prayers when things are hard? You know, is, it, is it the benefits that are offered to you that draw you to Jesus? Does, does Christianity just have a, a, a better pitch than the other religions? And you line them all up and you say, okay, this one is, is what's going to be the best for me. You see, that's not why we come to Jesus ultimately. Though we do get those benefits, though, though we can come to Jesus and expect the wonderful benefits that he gives us, that's not the reason why we come. We come to Jesus because Jesus is Lord. Jesus is worthy to be served and he is the only one, the only one who can save us from our sins and grant us eternal life. And now this, this leads in then to the second part of our sermon. You see, the, this, this whole story of, of the leper being made clean by Jesus is really a, a bigger picture for us of what Jesus has come to do on a grander scale. You know, there's, there's a bigger story being told here than the story of the leper. You see, this idea of, of being unclean is actually a, a theme that runs throughout the whole Bible. And it's, it's introduced at the very beginning in the Garden of Eden. So I want you to, to turn in your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. You see, when Adam and Eve sinned, not only did it bring guilt upon themselves, they brought with it shame. they, They were not only objectively unholy before God because of their sin, but they felt unholy before God. See, that's that's what the difference is between guilt and shame. You know, guilt has to do with with innocent or guilty according to an objective standard, but shame has to do with you know the subjective feelings and results that come with that. And we, we see that these feelings of shame and uncleanliness appear right away in the garden when Adam and Eve first sinned. And so look at, look at Genesis 3, verses 6 to 7. And so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And so what happened here? Well, Adam and Eve disobey God, and all of a sudden we see that their eyes are open. You know, they, they recognize that they are, are naked. They are exposed. And what's their immediate response? Well, they want to go and they want to cover themselves up. They want to hide themselves. They, they want something to deal with this, this dirty feeling of shame that they, 
they now have over what they have done. And that's why, why later when, when God enters into the garden again, what do they try to do? They try to hide themselves among the bushes because they are ashamed. They want to cover up the shame that they have for their sin. And Adam and Eve, they, they set a pattern that we all walk in now. You know, we sin, we feel shame, and then we try to cover up our shame. For some, it might be turning to alcohol to deal with the pain of shame. It might be turning to sex or pornography. It might be turning to mind-numbing television or social media. It might be binge eating. It might even be things that on the surface appear good, like attempts at at earning back something that you have lost by doing so much good or, or excessive service to one another. We do all these things to try to cover up the shame that we feel for our sin. But it doesn't work. You know, it, might, it might dull the pain for a little while, but it's still there. You know, it, it still comes back in those moments where you're reminded of what you've done or what others have done to you. And so how then is shame ever going to be dealt with? Well, notice what happens in Genesis 3, verse 21. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. See, Adam and and Eve's Fig leaf loincloths couldn't cover their nakedness and their uncleanliness. And so God kills an animal, takes its fur, and makes them true coverings. God was able to give them a, a true covering, though temporary, but it came at a cost. You know, blood needed to be shed if they were to be made clean. And this becomes the basis for the whole sacrificial system of the Mosaic Law. Cleanliness comes at a cost. But all of this, you know, the, the story of, of Adam and Eve here, the, the sacrificial system of clean and unclean, common and holy, the, the story of Jesus healing the leper, it all really points to one thing to Jesus who would come and be the one who would make us clean. He cleanses us from our sin and our unrighteousness and our shame. You see, all of us here are unclean before the Lord. We've all sinned against God. We've all violated His law. We've all dishonored Him and dishonored ourselves. We are truly soiled goods. We are truly defiled by our sin. And the Bible says that we were dead in our trespasses, that because we are unclean, all of our works, all of our attempts to make ourselves clean, they are like filthy rags. Filthy rags. The other day I was um, walking around my house, and we have a little potty that our girls will use at, at night, and I bumped into the potty and I spilled pee everywhere, and I had to go and grab this old dirty towel to soak it up uh, off of the floor. And I was left then with this filthy, smelly, stinky, impure, unclean rag. Well, when we try to cover our shame, when we try to cover our sin with our own efforts at making ourselves clean, 
what we are doing is, is taking this, this dirty rag and we're rubbing it all over ourselves and saying, look God, I'm clean. That is what it means that, that our, re- our, our, our good deeds before the Lord are like filthy rags because we ourselves are unclean. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus can actually make us clean. He takes your sin, he takes your guilt, he takes your failures and your inadequacies, he, he takes your reproach and your shame, and he reaches out and he touches you and he says those words he says to the leper, be clean, be clean. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21, for our sake he made him who knew no sin to be sin that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Or Hebrews 13 verse 12 says, Jesus also suffered outside the gate and that he was, he was numbered among the unclean in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. See, Jesus willingly made himself unclean that we might be made clean. He bore the scorn, he bore the shame, he bore the humiliation of God and man so that we wouldn't have to. Just as the leper was cleansed and sprinkled by the blood of that bird that was sacrificed and after walked away a clean and free man, so too we have been sprinkled and cleansed by the blood of the innocent lamb and can now walk away free and clean children of God. At the beginning of my sermon, I mentioned this idea of shame. And I used words like dirty, soiled, disgusting, defiled, exposed, unclean. Well, if that is, is, is how you feel this morning, I hope that you are encouraged by this word. No matter what it is you have done, no matter what it is that others have done to you, If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, all of that shame has been done away with on the cross of Jesus Christ. You are clean, you are pure, and you are undefiled because of Christ. And if you haven't placed your faith in Jesus, come to him. Come to him as the leper came to him, saying those words, unclean, unclean, recognizing your sin and repenting of it. And Jesus will say those very same words to you. I am willing. Be clean. And I want to finish now with the words of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. It says, Look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray.